Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. Hi, I'm Warren, and I'm musically challenged. (laughs) All right, so y'all, Warren is laying here looking pretty freaking adorable. He's just leaning up to the mic. He He has his feet curled back. Looks like a little boy speaking into the mic for the first time, like, I'm just so excited to hear Kay talk some more. <laughs> so, yeah, the it's, today is, uh, today's kind of like a, both a good one and kind of a Warren needs a screaming pillow one. Oh, crap. But not quite. Um, so... We're going to jump ahead a little bit from our last episode to 1915. So, 1915, do you know what piece of garbage film had just been released that year that I have had to watch four friggin' times as a film major? See, I would have been able to guess it without you saying that you had to watch it four times. Uh, Birth of a Nation. Yes, Birth of a Nation. (laughs) So... Ah, Birth of a Nation was the highest grossing film of all time until Gone with the Wind, which, uh, kind of says a lot, actually. You know, there should be a Birth of a Nation follow-up that's called C-Section of Democracy or something like that. Ooh, snap. (laughs) So, uh, Birth of a Nation was kind of infamous for not only being true to its racist source material, the Klansmen, but also bringing back the KKK because they had been dwindling up to this point. But then it made them look like a bunch of cool heroes who saved the day. Oh, just wait until I get a little bit further in this. You're going to be really mad. So uh, BTB has a really good two-part episode about the KKK and their start and their resurgence. But basically, this whole thing made the already fragile race relations that were going on at this time a lot worse. In fact, lynching started getting even worse at this time. And this is right before... I'm handing Warren his screaming pillow. (laughs) This is right before the phenomenon of lynching postcards became a thing. What? Yeah, they... Yes, that was a thing. I'm not going to show you any of the images because they are horrific, but people would send postcards of pictures from lynchings to their neighbors and stuff, and they would set up, like, picnics and stuff to go watch them. This is going to become my sobbing pillow. So, uh, you also had some other tropes getting cemented because of this movie. You had, uh... Like, not just the tragic mulatto, but you also had evil, shifty, over-sexualized mulattoes at this time because of Birth of a Nation. Uh, The main villain of the movie is Silas, who's a white man in blackface playing a quote-unquote mulatto character that rapes women and stuff. And it's, I hate this movie so much, and... Uh, you also had a, pop- a repopularization of, like, Mammies and Uncle Toms and Pickaninnies and Sambos, all of that. This movie, though, was so popular that they were selling KKK merchandise, and people were showing up to the theater in costume. It's like Star Wars opening night, but racist. 
I don't know if the microphone can pick up my teeth grinding or not. I don't know. I'd, I'd be surprised if it doesn't. So, understandably, the NAACP was not thrilled with this. And, GK, understandably. Tell me why. And, uh, do I need to list all the reasons? <laughs> see, see the past little rant in the first five minutes. So, the NAACP protested the film and put out a call for playwrights. And this is around the time that black people were starting to leave the South in search of a better and safer life, which more on that on a later episode. So the Crisis Magazine, which is NAACP's magazine, which you can find issues of online. You can find PDFs and they're free. Nice. It's awesome. So uh, they said... The Drama Committee of the NAACP, the authorized national body for the purpose of studying ways and means ut of utilizing the stage in service for our cause, has been at work for several weeks. The committee was anxious to have race plays submitted for examination. Manuscripts should be typewritten or, if not typewritten, submitted in legible handwriting, should be fully postpaid, and should contain the name and address of the sender. To avoid the embarrassment of a possible loss in transmission, authors are urged to keep a copy of manuscripts submitted. It was this notice that was answered by a woman named Angelina Weld Grimke. She is the earliest known black woman playwright. She had already been working on a play with the working title of Blessed Are the Baron, and this was a play that was meant to appeal to the sensibilities of white mothers in a hope that maybe, you know, they would start to care a little bit about black women. Uh, Angelina was born in a rare legal interracial marriage between Archibald Grimke, a mixed-race black man who was related to abolitionist Sarah Grimke and Angelina Grimke Weld, and Sarah Stanley, a white woman who doesn't really have a lot about her other than uh, related to their daughter Angelina. So, like I said, these two were legally married, and Angelina was born in 1880. Her father was already well known as a black leader. A friend of the show, W.E.B. Du Bois, included him in the talented 10th, saying, in the early part of the century came other exceptional men. Some were natural sons of unnatural fathers and were often given a liberal training, and this, is, and this race of educated mulattoes sprang up to plead for black men's rights. Now, uh, Archibald's family was in South Carolina, and his father, Henry Grimke, was a slave-owning widower who fathered Archibald with one of his slaves, Nancy Weston. He made sure that his kids and Nancy got an education, However, because of South Carolina laws, it was difficult to release slaves, even if they were your kids. So, <laughs> yeah, oftentimes parents would send the kids to live up north, hoping that they would get freedom and better opportunities because they couldn't do it in South Carolina. Henry, however, was old and dying, and so he instead willed Nancy and her children to his first son who did not follow his dad's orders. His dad was like, okay, treat them as if they're family. Treat them as if they're free. This is all that I can do since I don't, I can't release them legally, so do this. Well, this is his first son, who uh, allowed them to live like they were free for a while, and they didn't support 
the family. They didn't support Nancy and Archibald at all. And they were basically considered servants by 1860. Uh. After the war, they were able to leave for the North as freedmen, and eventually, eventually Archibald studied law at Harvard. It was in Boston where he met Sarah Stanley, and these two didn't really have a happy marriage and separated, with Sarah taking Angelina back to the Midwest until Angelina was seven when she was returned to Boston and taken back to her father. And this would be the last time that Sarah would see her daughter as she poisoned herself in, in 1890. Ooh. Sarah did. Um, Angelina spent her teen years with her aunt and uncle on her father's side while he acted as a consul to the Dominican Republic. At age 16, Angelina wrote to her best friend, uh, Mary P. Burrell, who was another playwright who we'll cover, as she was incredibly instrumental at this time as well. And she wrote to Mary... I know you are too young now to become my wife, but I hope, darling, that in a few years you will come to me and be my love, my wife. How my brain swirls, how my pulse leaps with joy and madness when I think of these two words, my wife. So yes, not only is Angelina the first black woman playwright, but she is also the first lesbian black woman playwright. Now, her father wouldn't let her marry anyone. <laughs> Oh. And even after her death in 1930, she never seemed to enter into long-term relationships, but there were a lot of poems, letters, and diary entries that are super-duper indicative that she is a lesbian. So she is uh, added to the list of super-awesome early black LGBT folks. So her play, Rachel, was submitted and accepted by the NAACP to be produced in 1916 and 17 at Myrtle Minor School, I can read words, and the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York, respectively. And then there was a final production in Cambridge, Massachusetts. At this time, however, the play wasn't well received because it was a little bit too real for all of the audiences. White audiences hating having uh, their complicitness and racism pointed out, and black audience were basically responding with, yeah, we know. <laughs> it wasn't until 1920 when it was published that Rachel received, uh, was received by a wider audience, which was mostly feminists. Um, according to Tish, jo Tish Jones' essay in Black Theater USA, which is a where a lot of this information comes from, this show actually divided the NAACP's drama committee because not everyone was on board with the idea of using drama for propaganda. As a side note, remember that not all propaganda is bad. If they are telling you something like, you'll, you'll have propaganda that's, hey, don't bully. Hey, don't be a jerk. As well as propaganda like, listen to Fearless Leader and... Let's all wear purple on Tuesdays. I mean... Well, it's kind of like the word manipulate. Manipulation yeah. doesn't mean necessarily that it's malicious intent. It means you're trying to sway somebody's opinion yes. to coincide with what you're trying to deliver. So, I yeah, mean, propaganda can be manipulative. Mm -hmm. I mean, propaganda is manipulative by nature, but propaganda can be malicious or it can be, you know, positive. It can yeah. be trying to point out... It can be beneficial. Injustices. And so, you know, that's sort of an explanation on the word propaganda. It's not 
in this sense a bad thing. Um, but, you know, half of the NAACP didn't think that drama should be used for it. However, W.E.B. Du Bois was not in that group, and he was basically like, no, this is awesome. Go you, Angelina. As did this little author that you may have heard of named H.G. Wells. He wrote to Angelina saying, Many thanks for your play, a most moving one that has stirred me profoundly. I have long felt the intensity of the tragedy of educated colored people. Someday, I hope I may find a way to help your folk. Wow. That is War of the Worlds H.G. Yeah. Wells right there. Pretty awesome. Good for him. Yeah. So a little bit about the play before we get into it. This is going to be an experimental play. It's between the realism period of playwriting and the sentimentalist or romantist, romanticism period of playwriting um, that you saw a little bit of that with the Black Doctor and some of the other ones before 1895, which is when the realism period really starts. Without getting too much into a theater, theater history in general thing, uh, in the 19th century, and really this started late 18th century, you had romanticism in American theater and in a lot of art in the Western civilization, but to keep myself focused, we're focusing on American theater right now. Uh, this is more emotional and flowery, and the artist's feelings are more important than reality. And you have kind of a revival of medieval styles of art. You have horror becoming popular because it's focusing on an emotional response rather than reacting to something social. Um, you have Edgar Allan Poe, Herman Melville, Emily Dickinson, these types of people at this time. Uh, you have Last of the Mohicans being written, which is where you get tropes like the noble savage. <laughs> then you have the realism period that comes after the Civil War and Reconstruction, and it's where you go like, oh snap, things are kind of messed up, huh? We should maybe put that into our art more, as well as like, oh, life isn't like that, we should be more realistic. Um, and realism had already be begun in Europe at this time, and you can kind of tell with Angelina's writing that she was influenced by people like Henrik Ibsen, who wrote The Dollhouse, which was one of her favorite, a doll's house, not the dollhouse, uh, which is one of her favorite plays. And then uh, Chekhov was writing like Cherry Orchard and Uncle Vanya, and you can kind of see that in her writing. And these movements were basically showing things as they were. So Angelina's play, Rachel, would go on to show things as they were as well. And this is one of the shows that kickstarts the Harlem Renaissance, which we'll get into in a couple of episodes. This show wouldn't be revived again until 1990 by Tish Jones at Spelman College in Atlanta. And according to her essay, this play still resounded at that time, and I would argue it kind of still does today, since, as we keep saying, racism and the echoes of oppression of black people didn't end with the Emancipation Proclamation, or MLK, or Obama. They're still going on. Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to need to take another drink of water, and then we'll launch into another 1K production of Angelina Weld Grimke's Rachel. Do you have any questions before we start? No. No? No. All right. Then. Only just preparing myself for heartbreak. 
uh, yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This isn't a happy play because it's realism, but what you gonna do? Cry and be upset with racists. Next year we get to do the 60s. Give me some of that hair. <laughs> Long, beautiful hair. Oh boy, let's let's dive into this show. Head first. Warren. Hey, Kay. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to thank our favorite people in the whole world? Heck yeah! Today, we would like to thank our stage crew sponsor, Jasmine Wu, and our producer circle sponsors, Bianucci, Reagan, and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your support of our show. We truly appreciate it. Today, I'd like to highlight an awesome podcast by Jazz and Stephen LaFond. This show, Whichever Path, is an anthology of choose-your-own-adventure stories. They encourage a lot of audience participation, and they cover all sorts of different topics and different cultural perspectives. My personal favorites are Colic, which has kind of an African twist on the Changeling stories, and Underground, which, well, you guys should check that one out for yourself. Now, it is explicit, but it's really good. Here's a promo for Whichever Path. Thursday, January 30th. Whichever Path returns with our brand new story, Chosen. This all-new interactive story is waiting for you to help make the decisions that could seal the fate of our protagonists. Sleep with a clear consequence. Choose the path. And now, the lights are going down and the music's starting back up, so let's head back to the second act of our show. <sighs> I forgot how rough that play is. So, what'd you think of it? I don't think I liked it. Mostly because it was really sad. Yeah, it's it's very real. And it made you cry a lot. Yeah, it is a bit real of a show. You can see why it didn't get the traction. (coughs) Bless you. Because uh, it's... It is heavy. It is really, really, really... It is deceptively heavy because it opened up... And I was like, Oh, like, this Rachel girl is really adorable. She's talking about playing with this little neighbor boy. And they're going on an imaginary train, visiting all these places. Mm -hmm. And her mom called her a poodle. And and just, I'm like, oh, this is cute. And, um, And then, no... So, 
what happens in this is it, it's the story of the Loving family, uh, Rachel, Mrs. Loving, and Rachel's brother, Tom. And in the first act, it's Rachel and Tom as children. children. And they and Rachel is talking about how much she loves all the little babies and especially the little brown babies and how she wants to protect every single one and her one goal is to be a mother and Tom comes in and lets us know that he has been called the N-word and this prompts the talk and you know, the the boys chased him and threw rocks at yeah. him and called him the N-word mm -hmm. and and he was like, well, they're just jealous because I'm quarterback. And, like, he's brushing it off because they're a little bit older of kids. And that's important for later in the play. And uh, so then the mom tells, gives them the talk about what happened to their father and their half-brother who were lynched because their father was defending a... Uh, Another black man who was lynched, or who was executed. He was blamed for a crime he didn't commit yeah. and was killed. Yeah, and so, and they go into detail on the night of the lynching and the mother saying that that was what made her go, okay, we're moving to the north, we've got to get out of here. And so it's just sort of that moment where your innocence is shattered. And then... Uh, that's where Rachel starts having her moments of, I don't know if I want to bring a baby into this world now, but it's it's just barely a planted seed. And Tom, meanwhile, is just angry. He is an angry boy because of this, because he knows now what... Why his dad isn't yeah, around. Yeah, he knows why his dad isn't around. He knows about racism in the world. And so he... Uh, so then we have Act 2, in Act 2, you find out that the little boy who was on the stairs is now Rachel's adopted boy because, and this is a few years later, because the little boy's parents died of smallpox. And they were the only two who died. Yeah, the only died. two who died of smallpox in the whole apartment. And it's, it's one of those things where this play is a roller coaster. Because Boy, is it a roller coaster, okay? Holy moly. The start of the act is like, oh boy, things are good. And then it <sighs> falls. And then the start of the next act starts up at the top. And then it falls even further with... Uh, and then it descends into madness. It, yeah, it, it, it descends fast. And it's one of those shows that I'm like, this hurts. But everyone needs it's, to see it. <laughs> it is, it is a tragedy, and I don't like tragedies because I feel the people's pain too yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just kind of leaves me shaken. Yeah, I'm actually gonna change up our schedule because of this one. Because I thought I would be able to handle it easier. You. And I cannot handle you, this show. <laughs> I, guys, like, uh, Kay read this and it was over two hours mm -hmm. and she did such an amazing job and she got emotional and had to stop a couple times because she was 
crying, yeah. like tearing up. Like you never sobbed or anything, but you were tearing up as you're reading, and because it's such a powerful, such powerful subject matter. Yeah, and. I think that might be another reason I didn't like it is because I'm like, you made my wife cry twice. <laughs> and so... Well, and also, like, especially with what happened. So, in the second act, Jimmy is all... Jimmy, the little boy, is all excited to go to school. And you have these great scenes with these little kids. And then this woman comes in to visit with Rachel to ask about the school because her daughter had to be taken out of school because the teacher and the kids all were abusive to her for being black. And <coughs> this is like a six-year-old that is being called the N-word and stuff. And Rachel's kind of having this, oh, well, that wouldn't happen here, because it didn't happen to me here, so it won't happen to Jimmy here. And after this really powerful scene with this woman, who is basically telling her, don't have kids, don't get married if you can help it, then she leaves, and Jimmy comes back, and Jimmy has just been called the N-word and had rocks thrown at him to the point where one hit him in the back. And Jimmy is seven. And... That hit me hard because my first experience with racism, I was six. And I remember it very clearly. <laughs> I was about the same, yeah. And it was it was not as harsh as what Jimmy went through, thankfully. Because if it had been, I think Mama Kay would have ripped a child in half like a phone book. And a child would have deserved it. Yeah, but, you know, it was it was one of those scenes that is sort of a wham moment. <coughs> and... That's when we see Rachel kind of slip a little bit because this just breaks her seeing this little boy lose that innocence so much earlier than she ever did. And she has the realization that it just keeps happening younger and younger. And this was the this is the little boy that she adopted because he is parents. Yeah, because yeah, and so this is her little adopted boy and. Uh, throughout it, there's a guy named John who's kind of courting her a little bit, and he brings her a box of roses, and she's looking at the roses and going, it would be better to snuff you out before you can experience pain. all of the pain in the world. And that's sort of the act break there. Is, and she has this breakdown while she's hearing children laughing outside. So then it jumps to a week later and she's just a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs now because she has had a mental breakdown over this because she's not telling anyone what happened and everyone's trying to figure out why she's so off and why she was in bed for four days and why she at first couldn't look at Jimmy and now won't let Jimmy out of her sight and I actually... When I first heard this play it, back in college, I, and it's why I'm sitting here going, I must have blocked out some of this play because my brain would not let me, <laughs> like, remember just how rough it is. But it's like, oh, this is important because it's, it's the possible. first black play, <laughs> the first black woman's play. And so, you know, the whole thing, you're kind of built up wondering if she's, 
maybe gonna snap and hurt I, Jimmy. I was worried that it was going to go that way. But instead, she's more of a wanting to hurt herself, wanting to make sure she never has kids and brings kids into this world. And she tells no one what transpired except for John. And she tells him that not only did Jimmy get called that word, but she tried to brush it off because she felt it wasn't time for him to know. She sent him out to play with his friends and his friends let him know what it meant because they too had already been called this. And every night since then, he has had nightmares about being called that word. And chased and... And chased and having rocks thrown at him and... He's just, had nightmares about those boys. Yeah, just waking up weeping. And it's like... When... I, I feel like this show... Sorry, I am going to be blowing my nose throughout this because I'm still a little... Don't you apologize. Yeah. But, uh... This show, I tell ya, it's rough... But I do kind of think that everyone should read it or see it or something just because it still holds up. It's very real. Um, it is very real. And I guess I should revise my initial thing when I said I don't like it. Because it, it's not a bad show at all. I just don't like the way it makes me feel. Yeah. Um. And I don't like the way it makes me feel because... It makes me want to kick some ass is what yeah. happens. Yeah. Because, especially being married to... I mean, I've always... Oh, ever since I was a little kid, I had a very low tolerance threshold for discrimination and racism. I mean, I, I never knew uh, a lot of black people growing up. I had friends who were Hispanic, and so if someone was mean to them because they were hispanic mm -hmm. you know i recognized that injustice right away and it was like no that's not okay yeah um and so it's just uh, and it's always 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 been such a bubbling volcano yeah of rage and just there's so little you can do about it Mm -hmm. as an individual in the grand scheme yeah I, I understand rachel's feeling of hopelessness with it and that's one of the things that sucks too. yeah especially like i will say this is part of why like we joke all the time of oh this is why we aren't having children but that is one of my biggest fears yeah is them experiencing even a fraction of what I experienced. And it's why when I've had some people on certain political sides of the spectrum asking why I don't feel safe, <laughs> yeah, kind of want to be like, read this play, take out the time period, this is still happening. <laughs> yeah. This garbage is still happening. There, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a rough, rough play. And it's a long play, but it is hard. <laughs> it's, yeah. I would say that this play, if you're over, if you're college age for sure, 
high school maybe uh kids probably not <laughs> no i would say you'd be pushing it for yeah. junior high and younger junior high and younger shouldn't just because it even even high school i think could handle it because mm-hmm. that's when you should be preparing for being an adult yeah and i think that stuff like this would be good for a younger audience because it can help to inspire them to tackle injustice when they yeah. are old enough to hopefully make a difference yep thing and it's it is hard what it is harsh it is yeah unfortunately still real what's kind of wild to me though is the whole uh, thing that the earlier versions of this not being well received by wide audiences i can kind of see why but i'm also kind of like they didn't go into the fact that y'all were having picnics while the while people were being lynched <laughs> they didn't go into that fact and it, in my view if you see some sort of injustice and you know that you have the privilege to speak out against it do instead of being like oh well that wasn't me personally that did it i say you look like those people though and they will listen to you over someone who doesn't so speak out speak out about it <laughs> no one can see my hand motions being but... <laughs> being somebody who does who has mm-hmm. spoke out about it one of the issues that i understand from that perspective is fear because yeah. speaking out can be an invitation to invite that violence upon yourself as well. Yeah, which is the, I think the number one reason that people don't speak out is because they they're concerned with their own self preservation. Yeah, um, which I get that because it's your self preservation. You're concerned about your blood and your pain, mm-hmm. and it can be easy to be well. At some, it's happening to somebody else and not me. And if I say something, then it'll happen to me. Yeah, um, but at the same time, it's like enough people have to that because that's terrorism. Yeah, that's terrorism using fear to get your way, using violence to get your way. Using it is threats. Yeah, and terrorism only works if people are afraid of it. Yeah, maybe that's what needs to change. Is people need to stop being. I don't know how you stop being afraid. Well, you don't stop being afraid, but you have to have the courage to. Mm-hmm speak out when you're afraid that's what makes it bravery is what makes it courage true is doing it even though you are afraid yeah it's it's one of those things and i hate saying stuff like this because i know that there are a lot of people who still are active in religion but to quote mitt romney (laughs) let the consequences flow (laughs) do what is right let the consequences flow i can't believe i'm quoting him flow or follow follow maybe but, flow but follow, same whatever it works either way but no it's i it's i i agree yeah it's it's <sighs> and i've always subscribed to the philosophy that there's more good people in the world than bad the problem is is that a lot of good people either don't act or it it's it reminds me of a. Uh, I know it's a catholic um quote or at least it's something that i've seen quoted by catholics um but it's, you know, not only do we have to fear the evil 
of men, but the greatest evil we have to fear is the indifference yes. of good men. Yes. And it's it's a hundred percent true. Like I I can see why Angelina wrote this in the way that she did with the hopes that she had because this play should spark something in people to make them go oh this is messed up we need to speak out about this hey i may have a platform or i may be able to do something i can see why hg wells responded to this play and was like oh <laughs> This is... You know, I'm glad, you know, and it's one of those things, I was never a huge H.G. Wells fan. Like, mm -hmm. I, I appreciate the, you know, stuff he did do and some of the stuff he inspired. Yeah. But, um, I do... It, that makes me like him more, knowing that he saw this and was mm -hmm. like, that girl is right. Yeah. Like, kind of thing that he, that he wanted to use his platform and his privilege to... Yes. To help push that narrative. Yes. And I, I haven't gone in to see... If H.G. Wells ever followed up with that, but, you know, never meet your heroes or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, man, like, this show, it's it's a hard read. Probably would be a hard watch. Um, but it is really well written. Mm -hmm. It is really well written. and When was it written again? Uh, it was 1915. So it was, and it was first performed in 1916. So uh, that's where the birth of the nation context came in was because this was one of the many responses to that movie. And yeah, it's, which birth of a nation is one of those things that when people nowadays are like saying oh well no the things that certain people are saying that's not really gonna affect things in the long run a movie a movie caused the kkk to come back to have a resurgence so i excuse me if i am a little skeptical on certain things not influencing bad things happening <laughs> it's it's uh it's it's scary and this play is a bit timely and maybe it would hurt but that maybe might... some productions need to be mounted of this play now and that may be why it hurts a little mm -hmm. more is given how um <sighs> extra relevant yeah it is right now yeah i i mean it's it is heavy. It is very heavy. And like you said, it's deceptively heavy. Because of all of those happy scenes at, at the start of each act, and you think, okay, well, the heavy part's over with. Nope, we're getting another heavy scene. Nope, we're getting another heavy scene. In fact, act three is pretty much all heavy. Yes. There is almost no lightness to that scene or to that act i don't know if i can recall any the closest that you get is that little glimmer of hope when john is describing the, the apartment, apartment that he's... he rented for him and i guess rachel true and you have this moment of hope and then rachel goes no but i'm still cray cray i'm still crazy this is going to get taken away anyway so see you later john 
go away. But yeah. yeah, it's it's a rough one. So that is why I have decided to change our schedule because it messed it, it hurt me. It hurt you. So we will next be getting to do one that's one of my favorite. It's okay if you need to do it in the order that you want to do it. Yeah, but I think I need some lightness after that, too. And the next one I had planned on was for unborn children, and no. <laughs> so instead, we're going to be covering Ruth Ada Gaines Shelton's The Church Fight. <laughs> so Church Fight! So I'm, I, I, I will be happy with that, because then it will be something short, but something fun, and... And my brain went, a church fight. Isn't that called a crusade? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I, I do like church fight. and Maybe I'll roll it into another episode, or into an episode, since it is a shorter one. But, yeah, because this, this was heavy. This was heavy, and it was heavier than I remembered it being when I had first read this play. Because I think just current events are weighing more on both of us than, you know, they should be. Well, no, they're weighing exactly the amount of time, amount of weight that they should be weighing on because it is heavy stuff going on right now. They strike through to the heart a little more. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend, and I keep touting this book, but it's called Black Theater USA. It has all of the plays that we've covered so far. And uh, Rachel is in there, as well as some that we haven't covered yet. And I just, I recommend that if you can find a copy at the library, if you can get a copy off of Amazon, definitely get it. J even just for that play alone. And I don't know, I don't know if anyone who could mount a production of this is listening to the show. Cause if you are, maybe this is a show that your community needs to see. It's going to hurt. It's going to be rough, but sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need to have the mirror show you the blemishes as well as the beauty. Well put. I try. I almost made Tom Bergeron cellulite joke from, America's Funniest Home Videos, but I stopped from that. Okay. So, because it's his joke, it's not my joke. It's never stopped me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was, that was Rachel. That was heavy. But next week we'll cover some lighter topics, um, and then we'll go back to, uh, the originally planned shows because i was always planning to do church fight but i had it in a different you, area you just bumped it up yeah i just bumped it up because we need that um and then yeah we're we're over halfway through the month though so we only have four more episodes to wait four five five more episodes and in a couple of episodes, there will be watching movies, so I don't have to read these. And they're, like, old black musicals, and I'm excited, because they were out of print for a while, I guess, or something. Because they were like, oh, this is missing footage, according to this one DVD that I had. And then I was like, well, I'm going to 
look on YouTube. And sure enough, this awesome YouTube site called Real Black had it. And I'm just like, yes! R-E-A-L or R-E-E-L? R-E-E-L, because <laughs> movie puns. <laughs> That's what I was hoping for. Yes. That's what I was hoping for. Yes, so... We've got that to look forward to. Things aren't going to be all doom and gloom forever. I mean, there's still the undercurrent, but things will get hopeful. And then, you know... That was the last gift of That was the last gift of the black man was hope. Yes. Therefore... The star of Ethiopia. Yes. Oh, hi! And Latte is... She's like, Mom has been reading for a long time. We have just been joined by our third co-host, Latte. Let's see if we can. She's got a big smile. Oh, she got tell Do you want to come up here? Oh, on the do you want to come up here? Hey, Latte. Come <gasps> hey, Goober. Hi. Come say hi to the listeners. Come say hi. Yeah. Oh, what a good girl. Oh, what a good girl. What a good girl. Oh. She's like, you guys are reading sad plays, and I don't like that. Read something happy next time. Read mm. something about cats. <gasps> can we cover cats next? So, yeah, that was that was this. So thank you guys for listening from all three of us. Um, we, I wouldn't say we hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something from this episode. Um, and, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at Tone Deaf Musical, Instagram, Facebook, Tone Deaf Musical. You can find links to all of our social medias as well as our Patreon and the podcast junkie discord server at our home base which is tonedeafmusical.com and you can even see some cute pictures of our third co-host latte yes who is now laying on her side up against her dad and it's really cute yeah she's she ends up on our twitter most often than not her and our occasional guest uh host steven so yeah. And Latte is worth following us. Yes, she is. She is absolutely worth the cost of admission, which is free. She's worth more than free. <laughs> All right. So that'll be it for this week. Uh, next, or this episode. Uh, next will be something more fun, I promise. But for now, I'm Kay. I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Death.